If you would, please turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. We'll be reading verses 10 through 19. Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 19. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand it, withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breast, breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints." And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. You recall when David, as a young boy, was tasked with the... uh, burden of going down to see his brethren as Israel camped against uh, the Philistines. Jesse had sent him down with some uh, resources for his brethren, with a, for a gift uh, to the captain, and he wanted him to go see how everything was going with his other sons. David went down, and as he was making his way through the camp, he realized that something was wrong, that as the Philistines were camped against uh, Israel, that they would send out their champion every morning and every evening. And his name was Goliath, and he was almost ten feet tall. And he would go out and he would make fun of uh, Israel, he would make fun of the God of Israel, and he would challenge someone from the camp to come out and have a battle with him, and that would settle the whole matter, which was very common in that day. Well, as he was hearing this, he began to ask a few questions, and uh, he wanted to know why no one was going out. And you remember his uh, older brother said, I know why you come down here. You've just come to watch the battle. You've come to stir up a little trouble. And then David made that statement. He said, is there not a cause? Well, of course there was a cause. Someone needed to defend God's people and God against this heathen nation and against this giant named Goliath. And so, after... He did whatever it was he did, and he made his way into the presence of Saul, and he said, I'm going to go out and I'm going to battle against Goliath. He said, you can't, you're just a youth, and he was a he's a warrior from his youth. Well, after they had talked about it, he decided that he would allow David to go. He said, but at least put on my armor. <clears throat> you remember what David said? He put on that armor, <clears throat> 1 Samuel 17, 39. He said, I cannot go with these. For I've not proved them. Well, what did that mean? He'd never worn that armor before. I don't know if David had ever worn armor. He wasn't a he wasn't a soldier. He was a shepherd. He was a shepherd boy. You remember what his brother told him? He said, "Go back and watch those few sheep of your father's." 
He hadn't put that armor on. He didn't know how to use it properly. I'm sure he couldn't see out of the helmet. He probably was uh, uh, felt awkward with uh, all of the uh, armor plates on him. He wasn't used to that. He couldn't move. He said, I haven't proven them. You know what really that meant? I've never practiced fighting with this armor on. I haven't proven them. I think that's a statement that's very important to Christians today. God has provided armor for us. Now we we don't have the option of either wearing or not wearing the armor if we're going to be faithful Christians. If we're going to be faithful Christians, we're going to war and to battle and we wear that armor. But like David, how are we going to use armor that we have not proven? How are we going to use armor of which we have not practiced battling, right? I've titled the sermon this morning, Proving the Armor of God. Proving the Armor of God. And Paul talked about that armor. He talked a lot about that armor. And he talked about its uses and exactly what it was and and how we ought to go about using it. And if we do not prove or practice using that armor, what are we going to do when the battle comes our way? Is the battle going to come our way? Absolutely. Absolutely the battle is going to come our way. Now in our passage, uh, with these words, finally my brethren, Paul draws to a close the letter that he had written to the Ephesian brethren. And in that he so ably described so many things and truths about Christ. He talked about the, uh, the Christian's possession in Christ. Ephesians 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. He talked about the Christian's position in Christ. He said, For through Him we both have by one Spirit unto the Father. Now therefore we are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, Ephesians 2.19. He also talked about the Christian's purpose in Christ. He said, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, Ephesians 4.1. What's the vocation? That's our livelihood. That's what we do for work, right? We have various vocations. I had a vocation for many years working in a body shop, painting and repairing cars and trucks and and. Uh, all kinds of things. I've worked on buses and milk trucks and uh, I've worked on um, uh, hearses, all sorts of things. That's my vocation. You know how you get good at something? You practice, right? The first job Brother Carl ever did, was it as good as the jobs you do now? Eh, probably not. It's pretty close. Probably not as good, right? We practice those things. Practice your walk. What about when children... When they begin to walk, do they just jump up and start running around the house? That seems like that, but that's really not the case, is it? They start up by grabbing hold of the coffee table, and they walk around the coffee table, or they pull up on this, and they practice, and they fall down a lot, and they'll crawl for a little while. They practice walking. How's a Christian going to be faithful in his walk in Christ in this life? Do we just show up for... 
worship on Sunday morning and and that's good. We kind of punch the time card. Is that how we're going to do it? No, it's not all about Sunday worship. Is that important? Oh, you better believe it's important, isn't it? God demands it. But we our walk extends past the build, the doors of the building. We have to practice walking as Christians in the faith. We get good at nothing unless we practice. I'm going to tell you a little something. I, I, you know, I probably shouldn't tell you this, but uh, I'm enrolled in some courses, and I've been taking this class, and I told my wife, it's just like an albatross hanging on my, around my neck. And uh, I said, you know, I, I took the final exam twice already. You know what that means, right? Not successful. So then I had to pay 60 bucks to take it the third time. So you know what I had to do? I had to practice. I had to actually break down and study the material. I had to listen to the lectures. I had to read the material. I wasn't used to having to do that. Right? And so I had to do it. So I had to practice. And you know what happens when you practice? You pass the test. Right? You pass the test. I was screaming and hollering. You know, I don't know. I'm sure the neighbors around here, of course, I took it in my office downstairs when I was by myself and I... I studied for about five hours up to the time I took the test in addition to what I'd done before that. And so, I, you know, I, I was expecting the police to be called. But I would practiced and I walked in that way and I was successful. Listen, the Christian life's the same way. If we're going to be faithful Christians, we're going to do what God wants us to do. We have to practice that. If we're going to wear the armor of God, we have to practice or we have to prove it. David would not take a chance on going out and being unsuccessful in his battle against Goliath because he had not practiced in that armor. He said, I've not proven them. We have to prove the armor. We've got armor. We have to put it on and we have to practice and we have to prove it. Near the end of his letter, what Paul was doing, he was encouraging the reader to become so familiar with the armor of God that it was just second nature. Just second nature. Have you ever talked with a policeman or, or someone who in the middle, someone who carries a weapon regularly? And uh, then when they don't have that on, you know, I heard a, I heard a, a, a individual make that statement here a while back. He didn't have his gun on, and he said, man, I feel naked. You know why? Because this was a part of him. You know, uh, I don't put my bill phone in my left rear pocket my left back pocket, and I feel like something's missing, something's wrong, you know. I don't have my keys in the, my, my truck keys in my right pocket, I feel like something's wrong. I don't have my house keys in my left pocket, along with, uh, you know, my, my, my flash drive that have all everything that pertains to my life on it. If it's not in my left pocket, man, I go into panic. I reach in my right pocket to get my pocket knife or my, my chapstick, and it's not there, and something's wrong, right? I open up my bill phone, I don't see my license on the left side, and my handgun carry permit behind that, and my insurance, proof of insurance behind that. My, uh, if my debit card is missing on the right side, something's wrong, right? It has to become second nature. I don't even think about it. Uh, someone says, you know, I need so-and-so. I just automatically take my billfold out, put my thumb on the right side, and hand over that card. Just hope they bring it back, you know. Half the time they don't. But second nature, isn't it? That's what we have to do. If we're going to be faithful to God, we have to wear these pieces of armor, and we have to fight against the darkness that has enveloped our world. Satan's done a good job. We better do a better job. 
And in his encouragement, we begin with this exhortation. And that's my first point. If we're going to become accustomed to the Christian armor, we have to persevere. We have to persevere. Is it easy? No, nothing's easy in life. You know, I, I used to tell my girls, right, someone, some young person would come in. I'd, I was in school with a lot of young people, and they would be talking about this or that, and it's tough. And I said, look, if it, hey, if it, if it wasn't tough, they, they wouldn't call it life. You know, if it was easy, they'd call it something besides life because life is hard. Life is difficult under the best of circumstances, right? I guarantee you that's right. You know it, and I know it. So we have to persevere. We want to... We want to be able to accomplish something. What do we do? You know, I wanted to pass this test and get this mess over with so I can get on with the rest of my life and not have to worry about these classes. I had to persevere. I had to, I had to uh, knuckle down and do what I needed to do to get through it, right? I didn't enjoy it. But you know what was, what was amazing? When I closed that web browser and I went over and I opened up uh, my homepage on my classes and it said, Passed. Nothing was better than that, right? It's wonderful. You have to persevere. You have to persevere. You know, you, you strive and you strive not to do something in this life. You're faced with whatever temptation that so easily besets you and you face it and, you're, and it's thrown on you. Let me tell you something. Satan will throw it on you. He'll devise some plan and it's all in the world. Whatever that is, it's always right there at your fingertips. It's not hard to access anything we want to in this world. And He'll provide it. And when you give in to it, do you feel great about yourself? No. How do you feel when you overcome it? You want to rejoice. You want to thank God for it. You're so happy. And then you know what's easier the next time? When it shows up again. Persevere. You stay the course. If we're going to listen to this exhortation of Paul, we're going to learn how to, how to prove, how to practice using our armor. We have to persevere. You know, God has never required anything from His people that was impossible to do. might be difficult, but you know what was difficult? When I read through the account of the life of Christ, and, and you know, we read through... We begin in the first part of it and we read all those magnificent miracles that he did. It's just amazing the abilities that he had. Those beautiful parables and all the content in there and all the wonderful truths that we can get to it and apply to our lives. And we, we see the relationship and the love he had for everyone and the people who loved him. Isn't it heartwarming to know that he had a place over in Bethany where he could go to actually rest for a little while? where he could have a hot meal, somewhere to lay down his head, and all that's wonderful. And we get over toward the end of, the, of, of each of those accounts, and you, but you know what is there? Crucifixion. The illegal trials. The beatings. The scorn. The death. You know, that was hard. That was difficult. But was it impossible? Well, it wasn't impossible might have been impossible for me, but I, I don't have that character that he has. I'm supposed to strive to have that character every single day. You know, we have to understand. It's hard, you know, for us to understand how he could do that. But you know it's not, what's not hard to understand? Dying for your own child. That's not difficult to understand, is it? Someone comes in, 
They want to harm your child. Who gets in front of them? Mom dad do, right? You're not going to hurt my child. I'll fight tooth and nail to the last breath, and you may kill me, but I'll be fighting to protect my family. We understand that. That's easy, isn't it? Someone who's mean to you and hateful to you and fusses about you and talks about you behind your back, you know, and, and uh, does, does things to you. Uh, you know, comes time to save them from something, you know, you might not be so quick to jump up and stand in front of that person, right? That's something we need to work on. But that's what Jesus did, wasn't it? He jumped up and he stood in front of that person. He said, no, I'm protecting these people. I'm going to give my life. See, he persevered. He prayed in the garden, the writer of Hebrews said, with great tears and crying, take this cup away from me. But he persevered. What's a Christian supposed to do? We're supposed to be Christ-like, be like Christ every day. We need to persevere. He reminded the Philippian brethren, Paul did. He said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, Philippians 4.13. Now after learning the necessary steps that God requires to become a Christian, we need to be willing to teach others to persevere, right? Listen, we need to talk about the plan of salvation. We don't need to preach on it every time that we get together. And You know, a friend of mine would, would teach a class or something is just undoubtedly always on baptism. I said, brother, you're preaching to the choir, okay? We agree with you. Let's study something else. Let's expand what our knowledge. Let's do something else. Does that mean we never talk about baptism? Does that mean we never talk about faith? Well, I hope not because without faith it's impossible to please God. Hebrews eleven six. We better talk about faith. What about repentance? Well, we better talk about repentance because that's the hard part. Changing what's going on in my life, facing God, being justified in His sight, that's the difficult part. So we better talk about repentance, right? Paul or Peter talked about repentance on the day of Pentecost. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. Why? For the remission of sin. I don't want to stand in front of God owing a debt that Jesus already paid, but I wouldn't accept it. I don't want to do that. I know you don't either. We better talk about confession, because we need to make the confession prior to baptism that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, Romans 10, 9 and 10, Ephesians, uh, Acts 8, 37. But we need to live that confession, don't we? Matthew 10, 32 and 33. We need to live it. So we better talk about it. How are we going to practice living that if we don't talk about it? We're not even going to know, right? We have to be instructed. So we don't need to spend a whole, a whole class on that, but we need to talk about it. And we need to talk about baptism because that's what places us in the body of Christ. Galatians 3, 26 and 27. That's what washes all our sins away. Acts 22, verse 16. That's what saves us, Peter said. Uh, the light figure wherein to baptism doth also now save us. Not the water. Not the water. The obedience. So we have to talk about it. We have to tell other people and help other people to persevere. That's what, that's what God expects. Paul instructed those Christians to put on the whole armor of God. When we, don't, when we do that, we learn how to persevere in the faith. But how do we, you know, there's always a starting point, right? How do I learn to persevere? Preparation. Have to prepare, right? You go to a construction site, do you have some preparation, Carl? I go to paint a car when I was doing that kind of work, and there's preparation, right? I have to have to sand it down, have to tape up the chrome, and, and then I have to wash it. 
have to dry it off, have to tack it down, take a little old sticky tack rag, and I don't care how big the thing is, go over every square inch of that with a little tacky rag. Get all the grime and the dust off of it. I painted a conversion van one time. I had to paint it about three times. had to paint the top by itself. had to paint another part by itself. And then finally I finished it up. And every square inch I had to get a ladder and climb up on top of that thing and go over every preparation. Right? It's all about preparation. You know how a, a good way to fail an exam? Don't prepare. You'll do it every time. Right? You'll do it every time. You have to prepare. If we're going to persevere, we have to prepare and learn how to do that. For one to clothe himself in the armor of God, you have to persevere and you have to prepare. Right? And that must be undertaken with singleness of mind. That means a desire to do what God wants me to do. Singleness of mind. Focus. What's our focus? What do we want to do? Listen, we want to get to heaven. That's the, that's the, that's the question. That's the answer, right? That's the easy answer. What do I want to do? I want to go to heaven. So how do I do that? I have to persevere and have to prepare. That's what Paul was exhorting these people to do when talking about the armor of God. Now this term, whole armor. See, and we have to keep that in our mind. He said, put on the whole armor of God, right? Now that term is taken from the Greek word, Panoplia. Now what that means is all armor or full armor. What happens if you go into battle and you left your, your weapon? If you're in trouble. What if you go into battle and you don't have your helmet? Or you don't have your shield? Or you don't have your breast, uh, breastplate? What happens when a knight would go into battle? What about when David was going to go into battle? If he had been relying on that armor, he'd have been in trouble, wouldn't he? But see, he didn't rely on the armor because that's not the armor God wants us to wear. He wants us to wear this other armor. It is necessary to understand that if we're going, if we're going to prepare, we have to understand that God doesn't dress us in the armor. He doesn't just say, okay, you're covered in the armor. You've got the armor. We put on the armor. He provides the armor. I have to put it on. That's very important. Denominationalism absolutely teaches the opposite. God will save you, and that's the end of the story. You don't have to worry about it. Who's Paul writing to, by the way? Christians. To the saints in Ephesus. You saints, you Christians, you pick up that armor and you put it on. What does that say? There may have been some people in Ephesus who had taken their armor off. Or at least a part of it, right? And so... We need to take it up. Take unto you the whole armor of God. It's our choice whether we take up the armor or whether we don't take up the armor, right? It's our battle. It's our battle. I choose whether I want to defend it. I want to win in the battle or not. What about that, that battle we were talking about? What about those temptations that, that are placed before us by Satan? That's my temptation. That's my battle. You've got one. So do I want to be successful? Do I want to put on the whole armor of God? Well, if I want to be successful, I will. That's what Paul's talking about. That's preparation. You don't just show up and everything's great. Right? You have to prepare for that. Christ prepared for 33 years to go to the cross. That doesn't mean He's any less God. That doesn't mean that anything's taken away from Him. That means He was 100% man as well as 100% God. And as a man, He had to prepare for that 
especially over about a three-year period. And he was successful because he did prepare for that. One way I prepare is through my prayer life, right? Paul said, always pray. He asked them to remember him in prayer. He said, I'll remember you in prayer. That's just one aspect. He wanted them to be persistent in prayer. He wanted them to be persistent in following his exhortation to put on the armor of God. He wanted them to prepare for that exhortation. But he exhorted them for a number of reasons. He exhorted them also because he needed them to understand the nature of the enemy they face. That's our second point. There was an exhortation to guard against the enemy. Why is that? The enemy of God and man is crafty. Boy, he's smart. He is quick. He doesn't stop. He doesn't give up. He doesn't have to rest. He doesn't have to take a break. He's constantly on the job and he has one thing in mind causing all of us to lose our souls. How do we... How can anyone believe in their minds that as dedicated as Satan is to causing the world to go to hell that an individual doesn't have to match that dedication? That's not, that's not reasonable, is it? We have to match that dedication. Peter warned, he said, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may desire. 1 Peter 5.8 why? Why was it that Paul wanted them to be clothed in the armor of God? You, so you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He's crafty. He doesn't care anything about us, right? How's one way that he use his, uses his craftiness? He's not going to show up at the door, knock on the door, and invite himself in, and, and you're going to sit and you're going to have a talk with Satan. Satan's a spirit being. We can't see him. We can't touch him. I don't know what he looks like. I know he presents himself as someone who's very beautiful. Uh, uh, an angel of light, Paul said. But he uses companions. That's one of the worst things that a person can involve himself in is to fall in with bad companions. People who influence you to do the wrong thing. In our text, Paul identified some of the devil's companions. He said, do, he said well, do not wrestle or war against flesh and blood. In other words, he says our battle is not a temporal battle, though you may suffer that way from time to time. But that's not the real battle. The real battle is against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. In fact, didn't Paul refer to Satan as the god of this world? 2 Corinthians 4.4 he also said he was the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Ephesians 2.2 2. Now instead of high places, the New King James Version says heavenly places. Now there are four heavens mentioned in the Bible. You have, you have the heaven where our atmosphere is, where the birds fly. You have outer space where the sun, the moon, the stars, and other heavenly beings are. You have the third heaven, which Paul said was paradise. That's where the, the uh, uh, eternal part of, of people go at the time of death. They'll go to one of two places within the Hayden realm. One is paradise and the other is 
torments, but it's in the third heaven, both of them. And then you have the fourth heaven where God resides, or where His Spirit is, or it's hard to understand that, nothing can contain God. But we wrestle against people in heavenly places, okay? Now, we battle against people who rule in our, in our world, don't we? We're doing that right now with our own government. We're battling against them because they're pushing uh, not something physically that's harming us personally, but it's ungodly the things that they're pushing. So we wrestle against that. And we have to be ready to battle wickedness and sin. And how are we going to do that? If we do not prove the armor of God, if we do not practice. You know, there may have never... Well, I hate to say that because I know that the Roman Empire was probably the worst. The time of Noah was absolutely the worst as far as people are concerned. But the history of our nation, I don't think we've been at a worse time in our history with people who are ungodly and push ungodly uh, practices. You know, when the Christian condemns all of the sinful things that, that people in high places push in, in our nation... We're standing against those people in high places. We have to be determined to obey God rather than men, Acts 5.29. So we have to understand, we have to watch our companions, those who we give our support to, those who we allow to influence us. If we hang around people, and young people are especially susceptible to that, but it's not just young people. Listen, it never stops, does it? Those of us who are older understand that. You can still be influenced by those... from the outside, and you can be influenced for the bad. Or you can be influenced for the good. Good influence is, is great. You know, we need to uh, surround ourselves with people who will encourage us to, to get to heaven and to do the things that God wants us to do. But Paul exhorted these people. He wanted them to understand about the enemy, and that's why he wanted them to put on the armor of God. And then he goes in, and now he begins to talk about the equipment that we wear. That's our third and final point. We have to wear some equipment. What about the truth? Well, you got to start with the truth, and that's where Paul started. He said, put on the belt of truth. He went from encouraging us to stand, saying, stand therefore. You take the truth, and you stand up for the truth. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world. You stand for that which is right. That's how we battle against the principalities and people in high places, right? And that, that correlates with his discussion on the need to stand, right? If we're going to be successful and victorious, the Christian soldier better stand up and put on that belt of truth because that's where we have to start. Paul had witnessed a lot of Roman soldiers. He had been escorted by a lot of Roman soldiers and he understood the attire. Therefore, that's where this illustration comes from. And they needed to wear proper dress. If a Roman soldier was going into battle, they better be dressed properly. And the Christian, like the Roman soldier, has to have his protection on. Right, We have to have what God wants. And Jesus said that the truth of God is what would free us from sin. John 8, verse 32. And then he went on to, to righteousness. He said, put on the breastplate of righteousness. How do we become righteous in this world? You practice righteousness. We live righteously, right? The soldier's breastplate was, was his primary uh, protection provided for his heart in his other vital organs. It would protect him against uh, arrows, against darts, against swords. That's kind of would be like our modern day bulletproof vest, right? 
And so it protects the heart. What does the Christian need to protect in this life? We need to protect our hearts, right? Solomon said, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Let me tell you a little story that happened on Tuesday, October the 9th, 1934, a matter of history. The first king of the kingdom of Yugoslavia, King Alexander, made an official trip to France. And before leaving his ship, he put on the full army of a Navy admiral, full armor of a Navy admiral. But it didn't make his clothing look good. You could see that he had ruffled his shirt and, and he just didn't look as nice as he wanted to look. So he took off that, that bulletproof vest that he wore underneath that. And it wasn't long, just a few minutes into his visit, someone shot him and, and killed him. And it pierced the uniform and the king lay dead. How many Christians are spiritually dead today because they took off their righteousness? And they laid it down. Now they can't protect themselves. If you take off your righteousness and you lay it down, you can't protect against the sins of Satan. After the breastplate, he said, put on the shoes of the, shoes of the gospel of peace. You know, when the lost son came to his senses, his father gave some very sensible instructions. He said, go find a, uh, uh, go get a uh, robe put a ring on his finger, and he said he put shoes on his feet. Shoes were very important because you know who didn't wear shoes? Slaves didn't wear shoes. People who were not honored didn't wear shoes. He said, put some shoes on my son. And Paul asked this, he said, how should they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things, Romans ten fifteen. Of course, Paul was simply quoting Isaiah 52 verse 7. Our preparation of the gospel is of the utmost importance. How can we preach and teach if, if we don't know the message ourselves? We have to learn that message of peace. Remember Jesus said the, the peacemakers would inherit the kingdom of God. He didn't say pact makers, did He? We can't make a pact with the devil and give up our righteousness, give up our gospel of peace, give up our belt of the truth we can't make a pact like that Paul assured us that if we do those things which we have learned from the gospel the God of peace shall be with you Philippians 4.9 finally the Roman soldier he carried a shield so he would be protected from the swords and the arrows and the darts right now that particular shield protected him from his chin to below his knee and it's very necessary he had to have that it was it was almost full body protection and if he didn't have it he was in trouble right now, there was no misunderstanding here by the biblical writers of the importance placed on protecting our spiritual bodies. They understood that's the most important thing, right? Paul told the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord. Solomon understood that. The very necessity of that protection. Every word of God is pure and is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him, Proverbs 35. Paul warned, above all, take the shield of faith. Our faith has to be strong. How do we have strong faith? We practice faith. We want faith. We seek it out and we live it in our lives. That's how we get faith. It's very simple, isn't it? We read the words of the Bible and we believe them and we put them to use in our lives. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Now, he talked about 
the helmet of salvation. I think the need is obvious, isn't it? But notice it's not guaranteed. He's talking to Christians. Don't forget your helmet of salvation. Why? Maybe they took it off. Maybe they weren't living the Christian life anymore. Salvation is not guaranteed to those who do not remain faithful. In fact, they're told they will lose it. Salvation remains with those who are obedient, those who take it up and put it on. We need to have protection so we can stay in the fight, so we can remain faithful. Now we have to keep in mind, as we study this, again, Paul's writing to the saints which are in Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. We can fall from faith. Galatians 5.4, that's what he said. He ended his letter, or ended his list of equipment with the sword of the Spirit. Now the Roman straight sword was about 22 inches long. They had to have that. It was sharp on both edges and it would cut coming and going. So it was, it was a defensive weapon, but primarily an offensive weapon. And so they had to wield it, right? What good is a sword if you don't remove it from the sheath? doesn't do you any good, is it? You might could use it as a club, but by the time you get around to trying to club somebody with it, they've used their sword on you, right? That's what the Roman soldiers understood. They knew that to be the case. You have to take your sword out and you have to go to work, right? No one wants to go to battle, but when you go to battle, go to battle. Take your sword out, go to work, and be victorious in what you're doing. That's what the Christian has to do. We need to take our sword out and we need to go to work. We need to spread the message of the gospel. And if we're not using the sword of the Spirit, we are in trouble. The Lord took out His weapon when He was tempted in the wilderness, didn't He? It is written. It is written. It is written. That's why He could persevere because of His preparation. He knew those things, didn't He? We need to rightly divide the truth, 2 Timothy 2.15. And when we do that, we can resist the devil and he'll flee from us, James 4.7. The Holy Spirit of God dwells in the Christian by means of the Bible, the written Word. That's what Paul said. Be not filled with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. Colossians 3.16, he says, Let the words of Christ dwell in you richly. That's how we're filled with the Spirit, right? Those are companion verses. There are about 70-something verses that are almost identical in Ephesians and Colossians. Of course, it was the same author, wrote the two letters, to two different congregations. So how do, we, how do we become filled with the Spirit? I ingest the words of God. You know, when, when we resist the devil and he leaves for a season, now he's going to come back, but when he leaves for a season, we have been successful in using our armor because we've proven it. Proving the armor of God. If we're going to be successful, that's what we have to do. Eric Alakis, who was an early Greek poet as well as a warrior, he said this, If we do not rise to the level of our expectations, we will fall to the level of our training. I don't think the truer words have ever been spoken. Maybe there's some of us here who have laid down our armor for some reason. Take it back up and put it on. The Christian can come back to God through repentance and confession and prayer. God will forgive the, the sincere and obedient child of His. Maybe you've never had the armor of God given to you. you know, it's just like joining the army, right? 
They give you the clothes and expect you to put them on. Well, God will give us the armor, but we have to become one of His children before we can be one of His soldiers. We talked about how we do that, the plan of salvation. If you need to answer the Lord's invitation this morning, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.